and that was Baghdad. You're with Julian on the brown note and a head-to-head battle between the movies Rebecca. Daphne du Maurier was one of the 20th century's most celebrated uh, writers. Um, she had a, it was a sort of a romantic fiction, but with a very big psychological and often supernatural bent to it. And she continues to fascinate to this day, passed away in 1989 in her beloved Cornwall, uh, which was the setting of some of her most famous work. As with many artists uh, in the novelist genre, she has gained a lot of prominence through movie adaptations of her work, most notably three by Alfred Hitchcock. Jamaica Inn, not one of his best films, actually probably one of his worst, and his worst films aren't even that bad. There aren't many that are less than very good. But that wasn't great. The other two were um, Rebecca and many decades later The Birds with Tippi Hendren. Um, Both of those films are regarded as classics. But there was also My Cousin Rachel and a very famous Nicholas Rowe-directed film from the 1970s called Don't Look Now, uh, which is still very celebrated. Well, Ben Wheatley, who I would have said is probably the most talented modern British director of the last 10 years, the most interesting one. I've reviewed many of his films and they're wild, artistically challenging, very different. Kill List was... Just a jaw-dropping film from 2011. Sightseers, uh, a black comedy which uh, involves serial killers, was uh, extremely good. A field in England, his most challenging, obtuse work. Uh, High Rise was where it started to get a little bit less good. Um, But the source material there was J.G. Ballard's novel and very difficult to actually bring to the screen. He did a good job with that Tom Hiddleston starring film. It just, it wasn't quite great. It was, I think I gave it a 7 out of 10. Well worth watching. Um, very timely dystopian look at, it's, also, it's like Snowpiercer, but set in a high-rise building where the rich people live on the top floor and the poor people who live down below end up revolting. And his last film seemed to be just a bit of an exercise, Free Fire, which was often dazzling and funny, and it's all set in um, one warehouse where these two opposing forces are fighting gun battles but it is a very inconsequential film it didn't really do it for me so that was a bit of a shame he's returned shockingly with rebecca the probably the most famous of all daphne de Maurier novels from 1938 it stars an deliberately unnamed woman who's um very shy very meek an english rose on holiday in the south of France with her rich benefactor, not a male benefactor, but the... Can you hear that? Oh my God, that was my stomach. Should have eaten something. Um, A rich lady who's paid for a companion to take her around places like Monaco and to be her friend, but she bullies the hell out of. Uh, And this meek flower uh, ends up meeting Maxim de Winter, who is a widow. A, a dashing, incredibly rich man from who owns an estate in Cornwall called Manderley, one of the finest country homes in the whole of the United Kingdom. It's bigger than a castle and denotes the immortal opening lines, last night I dreamt I went back to Manderley again, which opens both films. Of, of course, how are you not going to use that? Um, and he falls in love with her. She finds out he's got a very dark side, 
and he's been incredibly troubled by the death of his wife a year before called Rebecca and when she is taken back to this country home Mandalay she's just a working class chick and she's completely out of her depth but she finds her every step haunted by the ghost of Rebecca and this isn't one of her supernatural stories this is everything from the letterheads having Rebecca's R, signature R, which you see throughout the film, to the staff looking down on her, to her husband being hopelessly torn over this lost relationship. And the whole film builds with her having her um, identity eroded in a very modern way. And the ghost of Rebecca haunting her every step and making her life unbearable and having an enormous effect on her sanity and her psyche until we reach some very interesting twists. Um, now, I was surprised when Ben Wheatley took this film up. The original by Alfred Hitchcock is a unique film like him which can be viewed like Spartacus for Stanley Kubrick. It's when Hitchcock went to America and got under the wing of David Selznick I think producer had gone with the wind and became part of the Hollywood system and immediately found the level of control afforded producers not to be in his liking and pretty much spent the rest of his career having final say on all his movies. In fact, when he shot Rebecca, he deliberately shot the scenes that he wanted in the film to stop Selznick being able to choose other scenes to put in the film. He was that offended, and every film that Hitchcock made after that, he had absolute control. In fact, before that, he had absolute control. Um, and that's probably why he never won any more Oscars, because Selznick won an Oscar because he had so much political might in Hollywood. And the similar thing happened to Stanley Kubrick with Spartacus, which was he was then in the thrall of the Hollywood system and decided never again, and he made all his own films independently, and independent of oversight from Hollywood. Um, Hitchcock's film is, it was a failure at the Oscars. This is famously the only Alfred Hitchcock film to win either Best Picture or Best Director. It didn't even win in Best Director. It did win Best Picture, and if you think that sounds like a failure, it's only a failure because it, it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, which is close to the most, as many as Titanic, as many as The Return of the King. It's one of the biggest nominations in history. Yet it only won two, Cinematography and it won Best Picture. Um, and all, the main three actors in the film were all nominated. Laurence Olivier, Joan Fontaine and uh, one of the most famous of all villains in cinema history. Australians, Australia's most celebrated possibly stage actress, Judith Anderson, certainly of that era. Mrs. Danvers, who is the housekeeper from hell and one of the most malevolent demons in cinema history. Um, that film is a masterpiece, um, and I'm going to do a head-to-head -head now with that and Ben Wheatley's new version of the film. I said it was a surprising choice for him. I thought it was an inspired choice because he was so different. Yet what we've ended up with is a film that is unbelievably close to Hitchcock's in the fact that it uses virtually the same screenplay and script for much of the film, making it very easy and very uncomfortable to show the gulf in quality in these two films. Uh, ben Willey's film is very, very close to Alfred Hitchcock's, apart from the last third, which deviates into a Nancy Drew murder mystery, not to its benefit. Uh, here, one of the main problems we have is casting. Uh, Lily James is okay as the 
deliberately unnamed female lead. Jane Fon- the, the trouble they're having here is they're up against all-time bests in virtually all of these roles. Joan Fontaine was never better than she was in this first major film. She embodies that hopeless little girl lost role who is eventually mentally tortured to the point of near suicide magically, better than probably any other actress would have been cast in that position. Lily James is the kind of girl from Britain that American directors seem to love, and she's been caught up in two affair scandals in the last year. Um, She's very pretty and she's very nice and she handles the role okay. But she's very, very bland. Compared to Fontaine, who is in every shot almost in that film, Rebecca, much more than Laurence Olivier. Um, She's just too bland. She's just too ordinary. And they make her do this almost fry voice narration. So some of the times when she's talking about stuff and it's not like her talking on screen, she's got a very sort of soft voice. And you can tell watching the opening three minutes of both of these films, the enormous gulf in quality. Because we get Joan Fontaine doing a whole monologue at the start. Um, Actually not 100% sure it's her doing that. It sounds like a slightly different voice. But when it's um, Lily James, it's just a bit cloying and a little bit vapid. Um, The main problem in casting is undoubtedly Arnie Hammer. Arnie Hammer um, hadn't convinced anyone really about his acting ability until the film Call Me By Your Name, where he was really well cast despite his uncomfortable age. Um, But he was well cast in that role. But there is a suspicion that he is more suited to playing the school quarterback, um, some sort of very rich-parented jock. I kind of do think that even more after having watched this film. He's really bad. He's um, actually quite poor in this role. Um, His acting is off. Uh, He brings Laurence Olivier, one of the most acclaimed actors of all time, another unfair comparison. As soon as Olivier appears on screen in Hitchcock's Rebecca, the darkness behind his eyes is overwhelming. This is a man that is completely racked by his past, completely destroyed by his past. And Rebecca is arguably the most gothic novel of all because for me, gothic means that the entire plot of a film or a book is is defined by events that have already happened in the past. And here... He's broken into pieces and he's a very uh, dark, angry and often obtuse and remote man. And Laurence Olivier is magnificent in that role. And Arnie Hammer just brings a mild moodiness to the role. It's an appalling comparison and it doesn't work at all. Um, He is the biggest letdown of the whole film. I would say, though, that um, where they do get it right is undoubtedly... Judith Anderson's Mrs. Danvers has gone down as one of the best villains in movie history. The way she psychologically tortures Joan Fontaine, even though it's a 1940s movie, it's extremely uncomfortable. It's extremely gaslighting and nasty. Uh, And she almost makes her commit suicide and tries to. Um, She was, um, there's no way that you can compete with that, but they actually do one genius piece of casting, which is a brilliant actor. Kristen Scott Thomas, who is fantastic, she is really good as Mrs. Danvers. She holds up well to the original. And the only other person in the film that does is, I think Sam, no, yeah, Sam Riley as Jack Favell. 
He's played by George Sanders in the original, and George Sanders is better at playing the bounder or the cad than any actor in history. He's a brilliant actor, and he has that very charming, very wrong persona down pat, and that was a difficult one. I thought when Sam Riley appeared as the um, Favell character, he was a bit naff, but as the movie grew and Favell's uh, relationship with Rebecca became more front and centre. I thought he really grew into that role, and it was very, very good. Now, this is... Um, I feel that this... I'm going to be reviewing this film as a failure, but I'm not sure that it's a failure, the Ben Wheatley version. I don't think they care about people that have seen the Hitchcock original or have read Daphne du Maurier's probably most famous novel. I think this film is solely someone's gone, we can make that for the Downton Abbey and Fifty Shades of Grey crowd who like big country houses and dramas and romances in them and on that level I think it will be a big success because I think that's all they're going for here they want to make something that's glossy as a magazine as glossy as a magazine on country houses with beautiful people it's very beautifully shot but it's glossily shot Hitchcock's film did win cinematography Oscar um, the framing, shot framing and everything in that film is magnificent. It looks fantastic even to this day. Um, I feel that that's all they went for and why Ben Wheatley, such a challenging artistic director, got on board for this, I've got no idea. I was very surprised that they would hew so close to Hitchcock's original screenplay, making it very easy for you to pick apart. The delivery of lines have no weight in Wheatley's Rebecca at all. In Hitchcock's, I watched it after and I was just immediately stunned by how resonant almost every line is. Um, there are so many portentous, ominous lines in it and they all hit home. In Wheatley's version, they float by like they just don't even matter. Even when he's asking her to marry her, it's so perfunctory. Like when, he, when Laurence Olivier asks Jane Fontaine to marry her, She's like, oh, do you want me to come back and be my secretary? And he's like, no, I want you to be my wife, you little fool. And everything seems to have so much more charisma and personality and weight to it. Um, so that was a big shock, but this is the biggest shock about Rebecca. Watching Hitchcock's Rebecca for the first time in years made me realise how many modern concerns it has. Melodramas have fallen away a lot, and I've talked about this on the show before, how even with Hitchcock, a film like North by Northwest isn't as well regarded as a psychological drama like Vertigo is now, even though that situation would have been reversed 20 years ago, because we're so much more into films that are more challenging artistically and more psychologically interesting. Now, Hitchcock's film has, as its main concerns, and it does the novel, psychological abuse, domestic violence, emotional trauma, Gaslighting, these are very preeminent concerns over the last decade. And I was really surprised by how strongly those very difficult and very adult themes are woven into this ostensible melodrama. Um, it's quite uncomfortable the way that Joan Fontaine is treated throughout this film. She's not just abused by Mrs. Danvers. Laurence Olivier himself has been the victim of incredible emotional trauma and domestic violence from his previous wife. And he projects that onto her. He treats her often appallingly, his new wife. He's a, often a bully to her. He often doesn't offer emotional support that she needs throughout. 
um, and he's continually remote and leaves her to suffer the fate of walking around this house where Rebecca's ghost is on embroidered on every pillow and where the head of the household hates her for trying to replace Rebecca. These are all very modern concerns. It's a highly toxic relationship. Now, I would have thought Ben Wheatley's film would have jumped headfirst into that, yet it barely pays it lip service. It's astonishingly, it's almost like when you see something like The Colour of Money versus The Hustler, you'd expect a film made 20 years before to be a bit weaker and the new one to be edgier, but it's the other way around. The Hustler is far more edgy and The Colour of Money is actually a much more sort of superficial, fun film. Um, this time around, I would have thought Ben Willey would have taken those modern concerns and run with them, and he doesn't at all. Um, elsewhere, there are many other things that are wrong with this film. It's quite boring, it's quite dreary, and I was um, the whole final third seems to amp things up to being about a Nancy Drew detective story, which is completely unnecessary. There's this whole sequence where Lily James travels to London to find Rebecca's doctor and read the doctor's report to find out what was wrong with her. Within minutes, the police enter the room and read the same report. There was no point in her going. It just happened so we could see her in a car travelling to London for no reason. It's so completely pointless. Um, this is a very weak film. It's sumptuously shot. It's not very well acted. It is unbearable compared to the original, which it obviously doesn't care about. It just wants to be you know, a Downton Abbey movie, and for that it will probably be a success. But it ignores an enormous amount of, of concerns that are very modern, and I'm surprised by Ben Wheatley. There's one sequence of Bacchanalian revelry in the middle where you go, that's Ben Wheatley. And that's the only point in the whole film. This couldn't have been directed by absolutely anyone else, and you would never say that watching The Kill List or A Field in England. So I'm very disappointed to find out that his next film is a sequel to Tomb Raider, which was terrible. Um, I don't know what he's doing, and maybe he's just sick of being arty. But Rebecca's a big fail for me. Um, it deserves a bit of kudos for standing on its own, but I can't do anything but reflect back on all of its misses. So I'm going to give Rebecca nine, uh, 2020, I'm going to give a 3.5 out of 10, because it just doesn't really have anything. So 3.5 out of 10 for that version. Now, Alfred Hitchcock's version... Is it a perfect film? I don't give 10 out of 10s to perfect films. A perfunctory good film can have no flaws and therefore be considered perfect. I review films on when they shoot for the stars and have enormous successes. Is Hitchcock's Rebecca perfect? No, it isn't. The, final, the first hour, scene for scene, line for line, performance for performance, is as good as cinema making has ever been. The last hour, probably about a third of it, is a little bit more wayward relies a little bit more on exposition and it sort of floats down to its end a little bit. I found the twist in it to be one of the most memorable I've seen in movie history because I saw it as a teenager and didn't know it was coming and I was like, no! Uh, and, and that is beautifully handled. That's the best scene when Laurence Olivier tells Jane Fontaine about the truth. It's magnificent. And that really does fire up the end. So it's not all the way perfect, because of a slightly less perfect final third. Yet, I want to give it a big up for having such unexpectedly modern themes as domestic violence, psychological abuse, gaslighting, toxic relationships, and doing so well on that score. It sort of takes it out from being a melodrama 
which visibly and audibly it is, and aligns it much more closely with something like Vertigo, which I was really surprised about. I think it is absolutely one of his most memorable films. Um, I think that the first hour of Vertigo, which I gave 10 out of 10 to, is often wayward and often slow. And Rebecca is a long film for a 1940 film, I think two hours and 20 minutes. So they both have their flaws, but they both bring so much to the table. So I'm going to give the astonishingly cast, brilliantly acted, beautifully shot, brilliantly written 1940 Rebecca by Alfred Hitchcock, a 10 out of 10, a flat out masterpiece which has earned its right to be reevaluated because of the dire failure of the three and a half out of 10 Ben Wheatley remake. So that's it, Alfred Hitchcock, 10 out of 10, Rebecca.